Hawks Live. Every Thursday from 7 to 9, live on air on 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here's your host, Paul Moyer and Michael Bumpus. What's up, folks? I am Michael Bumpus. No Paul Moyer today. We have Dave Wyman, and you're listening to Hawks Live from VMAC. The show starts every Thursday at 7 right here on 710 ESPN. Dave, is this real life? Is this, is this real? Is football season upon us. We got a game on right now, the Chiefs versus the Texans. The Hawks are getting ready to go. Are you excited? As excited as I am right now. Oh, my gosh. I've been waiting for this for, what, six months now since we, uh, we've been locked down. And, yeah, it's just it's really cool. And I, I love the way the NFL has handled it. Yeah. Man. They've done such a good job. You've been watching Hard Knocks at all? Yes. You, you see how they're – apparently Goodell said, look, hey, we're going to take this very seriously. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's uh, – there's some money to be made in the yeah. NFL, and so they wisely <laughs> did it very uh, a very good way as far as the testing and everything. So, um, yeah, really happy about that. Love the way the Seahawks are doing it. They're doing it, you know, first class. And, uh, yeah, we're going to hopefully be able to get through this thing, play all 16, get to the playoffs, and uh, really exciting team too. That's the thing I was worried about, Michael. The more I look at this team, I'm like, I just I can't wait to watch them play mm-hmm. this year. And, you know, being interrupted by, by COVID-19 would be such a bummer. But hopefully they're able to, to keep doing what they're doing, and it's going to be a good year. Well, they're off to a good start. I mean, so far, no hiccups. They've done all the testing. Everyone's negative. There's been a couple hiccups as far as personnel or admin, people who, who work for organizations. But you said it. There's money to be made, and they have money to spend, so they're able to really use their resources to make sure these guys are safe during this whole thing. So let's get right into it, Dave. They had cuts on Saturday. They got a 53-man roster now. What are your overall thoughts on this team let's start with the defense his overall thoughts on the defense so far well you saw what i saw coming out here it's just different it really is from last year and been comparing it quite a bit to 2013 now i don't want to get ahead of myself (laughs) but you know they've gotten so good at safety and i thought that was what made those teams you know when they had that run where they were the number one scoring defense yeah and and the other thing that you see out here is the defense is actually winning the seven on seven uh, drills, and that's usually set up for the offense, yes, it as is. you know. So that's the two things you see. The other thing I would say is that uh, Marquise Blair is just an entirely different player. Mm-hmm. And the other thing would be, if you didn't know who Jamal Adams was, <laughs> you would be out here going, who is number 33? I mean, it's it's no joke. He makes plays. Like, if they have a 10-play you know, uh, scrimmage or whatever, he's making two, three plays, whether it's a tackle for a loss, a pick. I mean, he's just all over the place. So I I thought last year that was really, uh, you know, the safety play was was where they really needed to improve, and they certainly did. Yeah, they improved at the safety position. And on defensive line as well, I know there's a lot of people that are going to say, well, they didn't get Clowney. Uh, Fowler was out there. A, a bunch of other guys they could have went. Everson Griffin didn't get that guy, but they did pick up Benson Mayoa. Um, you got Bruce Urban who's going to help there. And let's not forget, I always mention L.J. Kohler because I have to remind folks, he only had 150 snaps last year. Right. So to me, he's still a rookie. He might not be a rookie on the roster when you see the year next to his name, but the guy hasn't had a lot of snaps, so he's got a lot to prove. And then you hear guys like Alton Robinson who had a good camp um, getting – taking the reps of Daryl Taylor because he's out with an injury. So, yes, the defensive line, they didn't make the moves that people may have wanted on that defensive line, but I feel like they've gotten better. I would say 
they've gotten at least 12 sacks between Benson Mayo and Bruce Irvin alone, right? Well, yeah, that and also uh, what about – I mean, I think the coverage is going to provide yeah. that as well. I mean, we never said there was a, a coverage sack last year. Um, one guy they did sign, though, that re-signed, but Jared Reed – I think is a difference maker, and mm-hmm. I, I think for this thing to work, I think he's going to live up to that 10-sack guy that he was a couple of years ago and not what he was last year. He was, you know, shortened season with the suspension, but he's really important. But there was nobody like Bruce Irvin in camp last year as far as an edge rusher until Clowney got here, and really Clowney is – uh, I think he's a better run player. He's just disruptive in general. But as far as Bruce, his athleticism is still there. He's versatile. They can use him at linebacker. He can, you know, rush the quarterback, of course. And then, you know, with all the, the tight coverage, I think that they can play. They didn't play hardly any man, yeah. man-to-man last year just because they wanted to keep everything in front of them. So, yeah, it's just a – it's just, and then you know, you look at linebacker. I mean, there. How do you get Cody Barton on the field? How do you get Jordan Brooks on the field? I mean, you got KJ and Bobby. So I mean, it, they're just they're really deep in a lot of positions. And I thought that was the thing coming in was, and I'll go a little bit on offense, tight end and running back, really crowded rooms. Same thing with defensive backs and and linebackers. Yeah, yeah, and I I appreciate the depth at linebackers. I know you have. Bobby Wagner, you got KJ, you got Bruce Irvin. But we're looking at the future as well, in my opinion. Jordan Brooks is going to be here for a while. I think Cody Barton will be here for a while. And these guys get to learn behind two of the greatest linebackers to ever play in this organization. One Hall of Fame linebacker and Bobby Wagner. So I appreciate the fact that they're not going to be forced into action right now, right? They're not going to depend on these guys to make plays. They're going to depend on these guys to give Bobby a drink and give KJ a drink. But um, the talent behind these guys is very promising. Being a former linebacker, what are your thoughts on Jordan Brooks so far? Well, he's looked really good. I mean, one thing that's just what your eyes tell you is that dude showed up in shape. Mm -hmm. So, And and getting back to LJ Collier really quick, he said he wasn't in shape last year. It's not because he was lazy. It was just because he didn't really know what it took to get into shape for an NFL season. Uh, Jordan Brooks showed up and pretty much showed that he did know what what it meant to, <laughs> to show up in shape. So he looks really good. He's got this pop in his pads. We had at the uh, the scrimmage that they had over at the at CenturyLink. There was a couple tackles that he had where you just hear this pop, you know, and you see like an explosion at the last second. So. Plus, I love his linebacker eyes. He's just, <laughs> he looks mean, and I just want to see him play nastier on defense. But you're right. I mean, it's, it's, these guys are the linebackers of the future, Cody Barton and, and Jordan Brooks. But, but there's no pressure to get those guys in the field. You don't have to have them perform because you have Bobby and KJ. So, and then, you know, Cody is coming back, and it's his second year. I talked to him the other day, and he loves to talk. He talks fast, too. <laughs> yes, he does. He was talking about how I'm just able to process things so much faster, and I'm seeing everything and this and that. But, but for Brooks, I mean, and him, too, really, how great is that? Not only you have Bobby and KJ, which I think is the best linebacker tandem in the NFL, uh, a Hall of Famer for, for Bobby. KJ's probably a ring of honor guy. You also got Ken Norton. Yeah. I, if you look around the league, you know, because you see coaches that, uh, sprinkled around the league that played in the NFL, I think Kenny might be the best player. Then. And what a great, you know, depth of knowledge that he has. So I've seen Jordan out there, you know, kind of soaking it in from those guys every day. And this is a franchise. Today we talked to Freddie Swain on the, on the huddle, and he was talking about how 
it was so cool the way the veterans treat the young guys mm-hmm. and how they just bring them along and you know they they share all their information and so that's what you know Pete has that kind of comes from the top down and that's what Pete has preached and it's going to pay off for these young guys so I'm sure you guys can hear the excitement in Dave's voice talking about the defense. Let's go to O now, Dave. How's that offense <laughs> we looking? We got DK coming back. Pete Carroll is raving about DK, saying he's had the best camp out of anybody in VMAC right now, and that's saying a lot. You still got number three out there. Uh, you still got Tyler Lockett out there. Um, I'm expecting him not to make a huge jump because I feel like he did a lot as, right. a, as a rookie, but – um, make a jump. My my critiques for for DK were okay. You got to be able to play inside and outside, and just look more secure catching the ball and listening to you talk and heaps talk and everyone else who's been at camp. It seems like he's doing just that. He's getting moved around. He's catching the difficult football. What have you seen out of DK? Yeah, somebody said this today that he's like learned all of the spots, and so they can pretty much line him up anywhere. And I can't remember if that was Pete Carroll or. And, and or maybe he was talking about it, but remember when he how raw he was? I mean, yeah. you watched him when he came out of Ole Miss. I mean, he he didn't run a whole lot of different routes, but he sure picked things up quickly. And now he's just that much better. So, yeah, I'd, he was only ten targets away from being the number one receiver last year because he had a hundred targets, and I think uh, Tyler Lockett had a hundred and ten. This is a team that's not going to throw the ball a whole bunch, but when you do. It's nice to have that big-bodied guy, you know, and then yep. you have a guy like Tyler Lockett who's fast. So the other thing I love about those guys is that they, the personality of that group is like there's enough to go around for everybody. Yeah. So when they do throw a ball, because we, we were talking about Antonio Brown at one point. I mean, he, he, he complained in a game where he had 17 targets. 17 targets. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, these guys, <laughs> you may not get, you know, seven or eight here, you know, sometimes. So that's uh, that's the, the beauty of, of that group. And, uh, yeah, I've, I've loved watching DK. I just think his personality, his work ethic, his connection to his family that uh, his dad played in the NFL, his yep. uncle played in the NFL. It's it's really helping him out. I think it's he can even have a better year than he had last year. I think he can have a better year. I think Russell has some things to prove. You got a running back and Chris Carson. You add Carlos Hyde. You still have DJ Dallas, who's a rookie, making a bunch of noise. Spots to fill on that offensive line. Postick has won the center job. You got Damian Lewis, the rookie at right guard. You're bringing Brandon Shell at that tackle spot. I'm filling this offense right now, Dave. I think they're going to be super explosive and might surprise some teams. All right, coming up next, we'll dive into the week one opponent, the Atlanta Falcons, uh, with Orlando Ledbetter from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution right here on Hawks Live. Hawks Live, every Thursday from 7 to 9, live on air on 710 ESPN Seattle. You are listening to Hawks Live, live from VMAC, every Thursday, 7 o'clock. We'll be right here. I'm your host, Michael Bumpers, along with my guy, Dave Wyman. And today we get to talk to Orlando Ledbetter from the Atlanta Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Orlando, how you doing, man? Hey, I'm doing pretty good, Michael and Dave. Thanks for having me on the show this evening. Hey, we appreciate you hanging in there. We know it's late out there, man, so uh, we appreciate you taking time out of your day. Let's talk about these Falcons. man. What's the overall feel of this football team? Last year they were a second-half team. They won six out of eight of their games, so ended on a high note. Are they riding that momentum? What's the feel surrounding the Atlanta Falcons? Yeah, a little, uh, you know, skepticism and hope. You know, you don't know if uh, you can carry over uh, all that stuff from a 6-2 and two. 
you know, uh, finish the last season because, you know, you changed out so many players. There's 20 new players. Uh, the core is back, but can they can they do it? Can they put together a defense? Can they uh, stop people? They had trouble doing that in the first half of the season. Then the second half against the lighter schedule, they made hay. Hey, Orlando, so you, you mentioned some new guys, and you're probably going to get you're probably tired of being asked this already. But Todd Gurley, you know, I being in the NFC West, of course, we've faced him a number of times, and. <laughs> You know, there was times I, I thought maybe there was something with his knee. Then there's other times I'm, no, he's still Todd Gurley. But Matt Ryan had some good things to say about him. What do you What do you think? What's your prediction? What are you hearing about uh, about his health and how Todd Gurley can help this offense this year? Yeah, he has a chronic left knee. That's no uh, ifs, ands, and buts about that. He heard it back at Georgia, so people around here know about it. But you can manage it. You know, you can't run him 30 times a game. So he said today, we talked to him today, said, hey, I'm feeling great. I'm doing what I need to do. Uh, you know, if I need to take a day off, uh, I'll take a day off. But I need to get rest. And then, you know, I, I know I got to get practice, too. So he does that, and he's been doing a pretty good job of that uh, so far, managing that need. Now, if they get in the game and start trying to run him 25, 30 times, uh, he's probably not going to make it through the season. But if you can run him, you know, 13 times from four or five passes, get up to that 17 touches a game that they had last year, that might be the way to go with Todd Gurley. And I think the Falcons are – uh, well aware of that. They've got three uh, running backs behind him to go in and uh, uh, do the job by committee if he's not up to 100%. Hey, Orlando, there's no way we can talk about the Falcons and not mention Julio Jones. He's had six straight seasons with 80 receptions and 1,300 yards. Is there any sign of this young man slowing down? Uh, not so far. And, uh, you know, I think he's uh, at least around here, uh, you know, Roddy White went he was 33. So we, we, that's kind of the benchmark for Falcon receivers because uh, Roddy uh, owned all the records that, uh, before Julio came along. So he's 31. He should have at least a couple more years, at least one more year, and, uh, you know, maybe two this year next. And then at 33, we'll start kind of looking at him crazy because that's when Roddy uh, shut it down. But, you know, the old-time receiver, Charlie Joyner, went until he was 40. So uh, I don't know if uh, Julio's made like that. But, uh, you know, that's kind of the benchmark on how far and how old you can play and uh, uh, how, how long you can get after it. Yeah, I, I read today Dirk Cutter wants to get him uh, in the red zone a little bit more. And I, I was looking, I mean, you look at the yardage that he has, Orlando, and then you look at the touchdowns, uh, like six and change a year. That's not very many for, for Julio Jones. And I know Matt Ryan loves him and everything, but it sounds like they, they want to get him going in the red zone a little bit. Yeah, but um, what they do in the red zone is they run people behind Julio and guys like Justin Hardy's got nine career touchdowns catching balls off of Julio. So they still score off of Julio in the red zone. Julio just doesn't get the touchdowns. <laughs> but, uh, and so he's, he, uh, and, um, he draws such a crowd that guys like Edo Smith end up with four or five touchdowns. And right. Justin Hardy, who didn't get signed back by the team, he's got nine career touchdowns. I'm sure uh, eight of them were running behind Julio. So, you know, they'll run a lane behind them and break the guy off, and the people will stay with Julio. They're not going to leave Julio, but they'll surely leave Justin Hardy or and uh, Russell Gage to get those, and then maybe 
uh, Todd Gurley will get some of those uh, uh, Julio um, relayed touchdowns in the red zone. He just uh, he draws the crowd down there. It's tight, and it's easier to cover him in that area. Orlando, there are a couple things the Atlanta Falcons and the Seattle Seahawks have in common, one being that they had 28 sacks in the NFL, bottom of the league with the Detroit Lions. Now, you add a guy like Fowler. You have Grady coming back. You the, the rookie A.J. Terrell is out there making plays. What are the expectations for this defense? Over here, people are excited. Are the Atlanta Falcons fans excited about the additions to this defense? Yeah, they like Fowler. They saw him play uh, at Florida, and they think he can. You know, he's an upgrade over Big Beasley. What they really like to see is, uh, you know, Tack McKinley on the other side coming do things. He he got up there on draft night and said he wanted to make his grandmother proud. Uh, so far, he hasn't done that, and his grandmother's probably mad at him. So <laughs> maybe. Uh, so the, uh, they didn't give him his uh, ten million dollar, uh, you know, fifth year bonus either. So. Uh, maybe there's some incentive for him to come out and play at a high level. And maybe he can uh, help out Fowler with Grady Jarrett coming up the middle, chasing guys out. Uh, you know, they're hopeful that they can get a pass rush. They're probably not as optimistic as you all are with getting uh, getting Benson back and getting uh, Bruce Irvin back to, to lead the charge for the Seahawks. Hey, uh, Orlando, what about Keanu Neal? And, you know, we know how safety play is important in, uh, you know, a Pete Carroll defense, similar defense there with Dan Quinn being a disciple. He's only played in four games last year. I talked to somebody today that thought, you know, that guy's, if he can be healthy and he can come back and, and play, that'll really help that defense. What's what's his status and outlook for the season? Yeah, he, we spent a lot of time on that, talking to him and his trainers uh, down in Miami. And they're projecting, a, of course they are, he was paying them a full recovery. Uh, he's looked pretty good uh, at practice. So, you know, they, they've got a, uh, a defense now where they're going to play some big uh, safe, big uh, big nickel with three safeties, and he's the key because he's the enforcer in that group. He's their poor man's Cam Chancellor, uh, lays the wood when he's healthy. So, the Falcons, after they get him back, uh, and then nobody's, everybody's knocking on wood because he's missed two years pretty much. He lost the uh, 2018 season with a knee injury in the season over at Philly and then went down in game three uh, against the Colts last year. So everybody, whatever he brings, um, it's going to be bonus. And if he can make it all the way back to where he was a pro bowler in uh, 2016, uh, no, 17, I'm sorry, uh, then that would be a super bonus. You got a whole new different defense. Orlando, we went all this time and didn't say one thing about Matt Ryan. This guy had a franchise record, 11 games with 300 passing yards last year. How's the general looking? Is he looking to repeat uh, another great offensive season? Oh, he's really excited about Todd Gurley because uh, with Todd Gurley, then he can do his thing. He can do his play-action fakes. He can duck down and come up and find Julio. Get Calvin Ridley uh, on a crossing route. You know, uh, the, the, having a running game is very important for him. And he knows that from uh, his rookie year when he had Michael Turner and was able to lead the Falcons to 11-5 and five with, uh, as a rookie. So he's best with his weapons are all firing. And if he's got a running game, then, um, uh, you know, he's pretty excited. He's pretty excited today talking about Gurley and the energy he brings and how uh, infectious it is to the unit. So if they can get after it in the run game, Matt knows that that's his uh, 
that's his sweet spot and, and the team's sweet spot because uh, they can really uh, put up some points throwing off of the play-action space and so forth. Hey, Orlando, man, we appreciate you taking time out of your day, staying up late for us. Uh, we look forward to a battle on Sunday. Take care, man. All right, take care, Michael and Dave. Uh, thanks for having me on the show. Appreciate it. All right, coming up next, we chat with new Seahawk receiver Philip Dorsett right here on Hawks Live. Hawks Live, every Thursday from 7 to 9, live on air on 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to Hawks Live. I'm Michael Bombas. I'm with my guy Dave Wyman. Every Thursday, 7 o'clock, we'll be here right here on 710 ESPN. And today we get to talk to Philip Dorsett. Philip, how you doing, man? I'm doing good. How you doing? I'm all right, man. Can't complain. Uh, first, let me welcome you to the Northwest. Have you found your favorite restaurant? Are you familiar with the highways? How's the the uh, the transition treating you? Uh, it's going smooth so far. I haven't found a, a, a favorite restaurant yet. I'm still cooped up in my little in my little cocoon right now, trying to quarantine as much as I can. But um, I'm, it's, it's it's good. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm getting acclimated to the area, so I'm, I'm just glad to be here. Philip, you you see all this sunshine and warm weather. It's like this all the time. <laughs> All the time. <laughs> they, they they told me don't be fooled about it. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, welcome to Seattle, man. Uh, how how did camp go for you? How was that, uh, you know, going to different teams? I, I switched teams late in my career, and it's, you know, going through and getting the, the lingo down and the terminology and things like that. But uh, what's the process? You know, you, you've got a little experience. You went from Indy to New England and, and here to Seattle. But uh, but how has the transition been here in Seattle? Uh, it's been pretty smooth. Um, I just, I'm just trying to get acclimated to everything, just trying to learn everybody's names, um, <laughs> learning the playbook, and then just going out there and just showing, showing everybody that you can be reliable. Um, you can be somebody that can help this team win. It's been going smooth, and I'm uh, looking forward to just keep going. I mean, every day I learn something new about somebody else. So um, I, I'm just I'm looking forward to just keep keep going and this, let this marathon continue. Hey, Philip, you go from Tom Brady to Russell Wilson. Tom Brady's the GOAT. We all know that and recognize that. But then you go to Russell Wilson, another great. Um, what has What's the difference between the two, and what's the similarity between the two? Um, like you said, I mean they're both they're both different. Obviously, Russ is a is a guy that's mobile. Um, he can uh, get in and out of the pocket, um, extend the play. Um, Tom is more of a pocket guy. Uh, we all know that. But at the end of the day, they're both similar because they both have that 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 desire to just go out there and win. They want to win every rep. They want to win every play. And um, they got that championship mindset. And uh, that's something that you got to have when you when you play quarterback. Well, and, and I'll ask you the same thing about your, your coaches. Now, I'll say this, Philip. I, I think I feel like Bill Belichick maybe gets a bad rap a little bit. I read uh, yeah. his book, um, Education of a Coach, and that's when I was like, I really started liking him. I, I, I think, you know, he's not great in the media and everything, but the difference between there, first of all, you know, everybody thinks he's this grump and, you know, all this, but maybe you can dispel that. But uh, the difference kind of uh, is sort of the, the culture there versus mm-hmm. here, obviously both winning cultures. Yeah, I mean we we all know it, it's the difference. We all know uh, Coach Belichick. He runs he runs his program a, a certain way, but like you said, Bill Bill does get a bad rep because he, he's he's obviously he's amazing, man. I, I love Coach Belichick when he was there. I mean, I think the media sees a different side yeah. of him than we see, 
Um, I mean, he's, he's joking around, he's laughing, but obviously we know on the field he's he's we grind. It's it's tough. Um, there's no secret to that. Um, you you get in what you put in. I mean, you get out what you put in. So, but um, the culture. I mean, it's a completely different culture. I mean, Pete, Coach Carroll is all about going out there in competition and having fun and and having swagger and everything. And um and I wouldn't sit here and say that there's there's not a bad way to do it. I mean both both win. So I mean Coach Carroll does it his way and Bill does it his way and they both work. Hey Philip, I'm a former receiver. I had a cup of coffee in the league with the Seahawks. Didn't do it on your level, but <laughs> I heard they were getting Philip Dorsett, and I, I looked at the film. I'm like, all right, let, let's see what Philip brings to the table. He can run the hitch, the slant, the go. I like the way you work mm-hmm. your leverage at the top of your route. What do you feel like is the best part of your game as a receiver? Um, I mean, I feel like I feel like I can run the uh, the whole route tree. Um, I, I'm, I'm experienced enough to know the ins and outs of the game and just try little, little tricks and trades that get you open here and now. But um, obviously, I I'm, I can run. We all know that it's no secret that I can run, and um, that's one of the reasons why I came to Seattle because I feel like with Russ and um, with, with Shadi calls and plays, I feel like they can utilize me running more, and um, that's one of the reasons why I really wanted to come to Seattle. Hey, Philip, tell us a little bit about yourself, like uh, what what you like to do. You know, it's always been my experience that offensive linemen are always the hunters and fishermen, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, receivers you know i don't know i don't know if you can put them into into a group but uh what do you like doing off the field and have you been able to experience anything here i know we're in the lockdown and everything but out here in seattle what are you doing with your free time um i like to i like to work out i work out a lot um i like to bowl i like to play pool do chill things go to the movies I'm i'm a movie fanatic i like to go to the movies once a week and just find a movie that that's out that i haven't seen um, can't do any of that right now, really, but um, yeah. something I, I used to look forward to when everything was open. What, what's your best bowling score? <laughs> Ooh, um, I haven't bowled in a while. The best, I would say two, around like 220-something. Wow. Hey, once you said two, I'm like, okay, you're out of my league, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I used, to, I used to bowl all the time, like literally every other day. Yeah. But I, I haven't been going as much. Yeah. Hey, Philip, there's going to be a new environment on Sunday. You know, there's not going to be any fans out there. I told yeah. our, our producer, Nasa Chobi, I said it's going to be like JV football on a Wednesday or something like that, you know, as far as atmosphere. <laughs> um, what are you expecting, and do you feed off the crowd? What, just what are your expectations overall going into a stadium, playing a game, and having no one out there? Um, I mean, it's, it's, that's tough. I mean, it's going to be like practice. Um, it's just like what we go out there and do every day is gonna be like practice. But obviously, you be playing against somebody else, another team that you that you don't know. So, I mean, we, we got to take it as, as that. I mean, at the end of the day, it's still a game, and there's another team that's that's in our way. We got to go out there. We got to play as hard as we can to go out there and win. Uh, we know the atmosphere isn't gonna be the same, but uh, hopefully, they pump in some crowd noise and, and get us going a little bit. Yeah, that's kind of weird. I want to ask you, it's kind of a follow-up on, on that. Does it matter that people aren't there? Because, I mean, really what you – I mean, you're getting a reaction out of people, you know, a bunch of yeah. people, you know, 65,000 people. But 
In this case, it's going to be you're going to get a reaction from a guy with a stereo <laughs> knob, you know, turning up the the, the fan noise. I, I wonder if that's going to if that's going to make a difference, you know, is because yeah. I mean, in between plays and stuff, you look up in the stands. There's yeah. nobody there. There's noise, but there's no people. It's it's going to be odd. Yeah, I think it's going to be different for, uh, for other people. I mean, I can't I can't speak for everybody, but for me, I don't think it's going to be that much of of a difference. I know some people do feed off of the crowd. I know defensively, a lot of people feed off of the crowd, uh, whether it's going out there making a big hit or a big play. I know um, the crowd gets gets juice. I mean, I'm, I've never played in at Seattle or in front of Seattle's fans, but I was looking forward to that. Yeah. I mean, hopefully we can get something going towards the end of the season, but uh, I'm going to let them handle that. But um, I was looking, definitely looking forward to playing in Seattle. Hey, Philip, I, I saw on a stream – um, the receivers went to like a random camera during training camp, and they were talking about who had the messiest lockers out of the <laughs> trainers, uh, out of the receivers. Excuse me. Where do you fall in that discussion, and who has the messiest Ooh. locker as a receiver? Um, the messiest locker, I would say Tyler. He's been there the longest, so he still <laughs> got all his stuff from like his rookie year in his locker. He got a lot of stuff that that needs to be thrown away, but uh, I guess he he keeps a lot of his stuff. And I wouldn't call it messy. It's just a lot of stuff in there. Yeah, it sounds like sounds like my uh, my mother in law's living room. Lots of stuff. I was gonna in say there. it sounds like yeah. my wife. Yeah, like she's <laughs> never thrown anything away in her life. So yeah, get Tyler on that. Hey, yeah, Phil, man, we appreciate you taking time, man. Good luck this season. I'm excited to see you play. Do your thing, man. The Twelves will be rooting you on from home this year. I appreciate that. Thanks for having me. All right, we got you covered with all things Seahawks in the NFL as Professor John Clayton joins us next on Hawks Live. Hawks Live, every Thursday from 7 to 9, live on air on 710 ESPN Seattle. You are listening to Hawks Live from VMAC. I'm Michael Bumpers along with Dave Wyman. Every Thursday we'll be here on 710 ESPN Seattle. And today... We get to talk to John Clayton. John, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. How are you? You know, I'm doing all right. It's football season. John, football's on TV. This is real. It's not a dream. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Although, I mean, boy, Houston looks terrible right now. I mean, oh. I mean, isn't it? Uh, it's amazing to think how uh, we all figured Patrick Mahomes would rip up the uh, Texans' offense or defense. But what I'm amazed at is that there's hardly any response right now from an offense on Houston that has so much money invested. I mean, four receivers making a total of $44 million a year. They've got two offensive linemen, $11 million center, a $22 million left tackle, a $13 million running back, a $39 million quarterback, and they're just getting absolutely destroyed. Wow. And early on, they were up 7-zip. It was like the playoff game a little bit. And now they're coming back. Yeah, we saw Jacob Martin uh, get a sack. That was kind of... It was kind of sad for yeah, us, no, I agree. but but yeah, it's what's it like, John? Watching the first game, I mean, are, do you feel like you know everything's normal? You're you're kind of hearing a little crowd noise. I got to watch maybe ten minutes of it or mm-hmm. so before I came down here, but uh, get you fired up? I mean, it does. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm very fired up by it because again, you can see football, and I thought this was going to be a competitive game, but in reality, I know the odds makers had it at nine nine and a half points, yeah. and you figured that Kansas City was going to win, but not by this much. I mean, yeah. you know, I, as, and and what you wonder about, what's going on with Bill O'Brien? 
I mean, I know that the owner is scared of him because Bill's such a strong personality, and he gets pretty much anything that he wants to do, Bill O'Brien does. But uh, <clears throat> right now, I mean, you know, they come back this week, they lose bad to Kansas City. They're losing bad right now. And then next week they play Baltimore, and they have two more tough games after that. I mean, they could start off 1-3, 0-4, and, oh and, and you're saying, wait a second, we've got all this money invested in this team, and it's terrible. All right, John, let's talk about these Seahawks. You know, um, John Ursua was cut and Penny Hart was put on the roster. That surprised me. I talked to a couple of people. It didn't surprise them. Were you surprised by that move or was it expected? Well, I know because, again, it's like uh, I don't know if you observed anything because I didn't, and maybe that's my fault. I didn't observe anything that said Penny Hart is on the agenda. Uh, and, of course, I looked at John Ursua and I thought, I like him. Now, I can figure that maybe there was a chance that Freddie Swain had moved ahead of him. We knew that Ursua had the hamstring injury. But with Ursua, who I thought was going to be a guy they really wanted to try to get on the field, that uh, you know he would be the slot guy, a backup slot guy, and all that. But apparently Penny Hart came out of nowhere and did such a good job. And so my guess is, because I was thinking, okay... Is, it, is this a move that they have for Josh Gordon, maybe you know, just saving a spot for him? They were gambling that Ursua could clear waivers, and of course he did because there's only 17 waiver claims this year. Or was it just a matter that maybe Freddie Swain bid him out? But I think you know Penny Hart came out of nowhere. Did you sense in watching every practice that you saw enough out of Penny Hart that you can see it? Because apparently they did. No, John, I've been on the Ursua bandwagon since he stepped foot here and i heard whispers of penny doing okay but i thought because last year they activated or saw a bunch of games so they wouldn't cut him and him get picked up he made a play against the 49ers got this hawks down to the one i thought he not a lock but i didn't i just didn't see this move happening no in a case of with her I mean, when you look at his talent skills, I mean, you can see him doing a couple different things. I mean, one, I know he's not Debo Samuel, but I can see him doing jet sweeps. You can see him maybe doing some return stuff. And also, certainly, I mean, I thought he was going to be the second best guy behind uh, Lockett as a slot guy. But apparently, I guess uh, I was I was missing on that. And maybe I'm just missing in practice. Now, you know how it is over there at the VMAC. You know, I'm a Tier 3 guy uh, with a possible Tier 2. But, uh, you know, and we're standing like, you know, five feet away from the Tier 2 guys. But usually they practice in the far end of the field near the water. And so I didn't see enough of the wide receivers. I certainly saw enough of the defensive linemen. But uh, I, I just missed on that one. Well, yeah, I don't think there was a whole lot to see. I no. mean, it was, uh, it, it was one of those where, you know, I think also we just talked to um, Philip Dorsett. What a great guy, yeah. you know, and, and a lot of that, I mean, look, that may sound corny, but people, I mean, if it's all things are equal as far as talent goes, and I'm not saying John Arsua is a bad guy at all. I'm just saying that, you know, sometimes you see something or hear something from a guy and, uh, you know, it's it's they get to see a lot more than we do. That's for sure. We just see the tip of the iceberg when we're out there at practice. But, um, yeah, John, we were talking about a couple of the key players in Atlanta and uh, I know we talked about that on our show, but one being uh, Todd Gurley and the other being Keanu Neal. Uh, what, when you go around, I know you every, every mm-hmm. year do like an analysis of, of every team and certainly the, the teams that the Seahawks are going to play, but uh, what do you think about Atlanta's year? What, what do you think their projected record's going to be and, and 
How are you feeling about those two players I mentioned? Uh, I, I feel questionable about both because here's Todd Gurley, and you know he's got the knee injury. You know he's got the problems with the arthritic knee, and it's not going to get better. I mean, I think that maybe if they handle it right, they can get you know 15 to 25 touches out of him and be productive. But it's not like he's he's going to have a hundred yard rushing game. 50-yard pass receiving. I just don't see that happening. He can't get enough touches because of the knee. And then you look at Neal, who's a really good player, but he's had, you know, what, ACL and Achilles, and that, that comes back to haunt him. And then you wonder, you know, how that's going to fit in. And so uh, the bigger concern, I think, is a cornerback position because they're going to have to go with the rookie and Oliver, who is right now uh, struggling and struggled last year to a point they wanted to get rid of him. You know, let Desmond Trufant go because they didn't have the cap room to be able to keep him. And so I think they're vulnerable at the cornerback position. We'll see. The, Neil, Neil's a good player when he's healthy. Yeah. And, of course, right now he's healthy. But uh, what you wonder about, is there enough in the secondary to hold down the speed of the Seahawks and also the speed of other teams in the National Football League? Hey, John, the Hawks made a lot of moves. Defensive line, uh, linebacker drafted number one. Got Jamal Adams in the secondary. Moves made on the offensive line. Have they done enough to be the favorites to win this division and one of the contenders in the conference? Yeah, enough, I think, to be the slight edge because there's certainly a slippage right now in San Francisco, but not much. I mean, you know, they'll go from like 13 wins to 11, in my opinion, you know, because they're still pretty good on the defensive line, not as good without uh, DeForest Buckner. Uh, And my big concern, and this is, you know, and this is the thing we watched tonight with Houston. Okay, if you're vulnerable at the cornerback position, or in the secondary, you've got problems, particularly in a league like this that's getting faster at wide receiver, bigger at wide receiver, and, of course, a little bit more uh, you know, mobile quarterbacks that can run around and find a way to make plays. And what you look at is that they didn't do anything. I mean, you know, Witherspoon's been a disappointment. They got Emmanuel Mosley, who's okay. You know, you've got uh, really, I think, Richard Sherman and what might be his last year in the NFL. He's still one of the best in football. But is there enough right now to contain some of the passing uh, offenses in this league? You know, like, can they contain, like, even uh, uh, Hopkins this year from Arizona in this week's game? So I, I, I worry about that. And I worry about that the same thing from Atlanta. And so I think they're vulnerable right now at cornerback this year is such a mystery john and you know you mentioned hopkins down in arizona and everybody just assumes that kyler murray is going to take the next step we don't have any games to go off of in the preseason or whatever but uh you've been watching hard knocks i know and i know that you said sean mcveigh is kind of the puppeteer for jared goff i agree but still, I, I still feel like the, the Rams have enough personnel. Jalen Ramsey, Aaron Donald, you know, and and Goff is is good. I mean, mm-hmm. look, I still feel like they're going to be more in the mix than Arizona. I think Arizona is a good up and coming team, but. What, are are we inflating our, our expectations for the Cardinals, or do you think that's legit? No, I think the Cardinals right now are the most improved team in football. The question is, what does that translate into wins? Does that mean seven wins, eight wins, nine wins? It's not going to be above nine. I think it's more towards seven wins, which is a pretty big improvement for that team. But what I look at with the Rams, it's like, it's like the same thing we're looking at to a certain degree with the Texans. Okay, so uh, they put so much into the offense that uh, is there enough on defense because they had to sacrifice several players on defense and they paid the price. You can see it in the secondary. And then you look at the Rams team that since the Super Bowl two years ago, a couple years ago, they've lost 11 starters on defense, a nickel cornerback, three offensive line starters, uh, Brandon Cooks and Todd Gurley. 
And, and the only thing that they added this year was a bunch of draft choices, non-first round, and uh, basically, uh, you know, Leonard Floyd. Can that be enough to be able to stay ahead of Arizona? And I question it. I, I know that offensively and the coaching, they can do a good job. But And you'll appreciate this, Dave. They let Wade Phillips go. How do you do that? I know. You know, the biggest regret I had when when I went to Denver and signed there, I wish Wade had stayed the defensive coordinator instead of the head coach because he was not a good head no. coach. And he was a really good defensive coordinator. And I felt like we'd have, we'd have won more games. But you think he's done? Is he? No, not at all. I think you know it just comes down to I know there was a chance that he was going to get on the Philadelphia staff, uh, and some somebody will pick him up. Yeah. I know. I, you know, the one thing that's kind of interesting right now is that thanks to Marv Levy and other coaches, you don't worry about. Okay, so he's seventy, seventy-one years old. You know, it's like you know, like Pete Carroll. I still contend is going to get one more contract with this team, probably a three-year deal which I think is going to be fine because, you know, what used to be, uh, I mean, what, what is it now, 70, 71? That's like the new 60. <laughs> well, especially if you're Pete Carroll. I mean, he's oh, yeah. practically like a 40-year-old. Right? Oh, yeah. It, it was funny because uh, I was going, going down and picking up the mail the other day, and, of course, you know, I'm, I'm literally a 10-minute walk, 3-minute drive in the VMAC, and, of course, I was like, oh, so they're practicing in the afternoon because I could hear the music. <laughs> and the music was great, as it always oh, is. Oh, they're playing some funk? Oh, absolutely. Actually, this wasn't actually a funk song, but it was a good song. But 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 the one thing I know, because as I told Pete years ago, I said, Pete, you know, I can hear all the music if I just go on my deck or walk outside. And it's like uh, it's which is great. But the big thing is. Don't play country because I'll dial nine one one and call the police. And he says we will not play country because again the beat doesn't help. This beat no. that we play helps. Yeah, you don't want to hear about uh, lost girlfriends and no. dogs dying. No. And, no, yeah. John, something tells me you're you're a techno Thursday type of guy, John. Nah, I'm a funk guy. I mean, come on. I go back to James Brown. I still, you know, growing up in the worst ghetto in uh, the state of Pennsylvania, and what was so great, particularly in junior high, I would sit back in the back of the room, and uh, all the guys would take care of me because all we do is listen to Stevie Wonder and James Brown. I mean, I know it wasn't educational for me because uh, I'm, I'm paying attention more to the music than it was what they were teaching. But, again, it was so great for me because that's what I grew up with. Well, John, football's back. That means we're all going to talk to each other a lot more. Man, we appreciate you taking time out your day. Hey, thank you, and I'll talk to you tomorrow, Michael. Yes, sir. All right, is it finally time to let Russ cook? Dave and I set the record straight. Coming up next, right here on Hawks Live.